It's the 15th of January, 2006, and we're uh, discussing a les- lesson 11 of uh, Epistle to the Hebrews. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the wonderful weather that we've been having and for uh, the warm uh, weather. We thank you that you've given us uh, houses uh, uh, that are warm. And Father, we thank you for the preparation that we've uh, made uh, to go through uh, cold weather, and Father, we thank you for the times that we don't have to. Uh, we thank you for food and clothes and the things that you provide us in so many uh, good ways. Lord, we thank you for living in this country and for a, uh, a government that is, uh, uh, does, does not harass us as we uh, practice our faith. And Lord, we thank you that most of all that you have called us into your presence and you have given us your word that we can serve you and that we can seek you. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. I have my copy here today. Thank you. Baruchut Adonai Hamvorach, Baruch Adonai Hamvorach, Leolam Vaid, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachabanu Mikohamim, Venatan Lanu Et Torato, Baruch Adonai, Noten HaTorah. Amen. Bless Adonai who is blessed. Blessed is Adonai who is blessed forever. Blessed art thou, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Did you drop them all on the floor, Judah? Okay. It sounded like it, didn't it? Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. A key verse, would you not agree? Uh, We have such a high priest who is seated in the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Hebrews 8, 1-3 uh, what we're doing is outlining, right, for uh, high priest summaries, basically summaries and titles. Last week we looked at the tabernacle imagery, uh, specifically focused on the sword as the image for the word of God. And we saw that how in context the reference was to warn, really encourage, but to warn the readers that um, just like the tabernacle imagery showed, um, they should not reject. Come in. They should not reject. Uh, um, the only way in. They should not reject the only way into uh, the world to come. The tabernacle uh, imagery also continues in this lesson. You can't get away from the tabernacle imagery. The problem that we often have as we're reading this passage is we, we understand the focus of the high priest and the pri- high priesthood of Yeshua. But with the tabernacle imagery and the use of the tabernacle imagery as we, as we move through here, you can be distracted as well as be distracted by the imagery and the discussion of the new covenant. 
all of these chapters are actually use those, but the focus is the high priest. As you've seen in your homework this week, and going through and looking at the at the uh, topics of discussion, the summaries, and and trying to put titles on these on these on these passages, what you've seen is the focus is not. It uses tabernacle imagery. It uses new covenant language, but the focus is not those. The focus is Yeshua as high priest. Something about this he wants to focus for a reason. Okay, and we will look at those other things as well as we move forward. But even though they're mentioned, the predominant the predominant time is spent discussing Yeshua as high priest and comparing him to the Aaronic priesthood. So. Get your summary charts out, and uh, let's go through them. Starting on page, uh, in your homework, would be page page, uh, 62. And uh, I'll read it, and then uh, you guys can uh, tell me what you got as far as summary or main points. Again, I will put my trust in him. That's a quote. Again, behold, I am here with the children whom God has given me. Since the children have shared in flesh and blood, he also himself, in like manner, partook of the same, that through death he might bring to nothing him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver all of them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For most certainly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed of Abraham, Abraham. Therefore he was obligated in all things to make to be made like his brothers, that he might become a merciful and faithful Kohen uh, Gadol, high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For in that he himself also suffered being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and Kohen Gadol of our confession, Yeshua, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as also was Moshe in all his house. That's uh, chapter 2, verse 13, through chapter two, uh, 3, verse 2. What uh, summary or main points did you get there? You see what I got. What did you get? Anything differently? Exactly what I put up there. It's scary. Yeah. I saw this uh, correlation between children. He says, Behold, here I am with the children, which was a quote, if you remember. Uh, here I am with the children whom God has given me. Um, this correlation of children and the, and, the, and the relationship to the house, right? He had a house, right? As David had a house, as we saw, as Moshe had a house, Israel, and Moshe was the builder. Excuse me, Moshe was the... Uh, um, how, how did that go? Moshe was the... Who had the greater honor? The builder or the house itself? The builder. So Moshe was the house and the builder was Yeshua as high priest. So this, I saw this correlation, children, house. So faithful in his house is related to being... He did what he was supposed to do. We saw that. Right? What was it? He led them into the promised land, as it were. The figurative promised land. He stands at the threshold of the promised land. Why would you not go in with him? Right? Anything else? He's like flesh and blood. Right? He's like flesh and blood. He is faithful in his house. He's like the children that he has. 
uh, that he brings with him, which was the end of chapter 2 and the whole discussion in chapters 1 and 2, is here he is, he's the high priest that has been made like those whom he serves or mediates for. So that's why I have that for the title. I have uh, like the children, flesh and blood. Okay? Anybody have something different? What did you get differently? Faithful to him who appointed him? Good. Faithful? Good. Good. Excellent. Okay, doing this during my summary, which I thought I should expand a little bit on that. Yeah. Um, that this time that that um, he uh, the high priest Meshulamai was um, he made for the sins of the people, which in this case is his own death. That's verse fourteen. Excellent. Um, so that he could deliver them to confess him from their bondage. Excellent. Just said, Moshe just delivered them from the bondage of slavery. Very good. Great correlation. Not not a contrast, but a comparison. Moses takes them out of Egypt. Yeshua takes them out of sin in the clutches of the devil. The Pharaoh is is thwarted by Moses. The devil himself, as we see in chapter four, uh, verse fourteen, is is thwarted by Yeshua as a high priest. Which, which gives us, it, we're, we're going to do this as we get into a later lesson. We're going to actually look at this topic of salvation and, and uh, try and get a grasp on the temporal slash eternal natures of, of it, them, uh, however. But that gives us just an overview right away. Moshe, he's the, uh, Moses is the temporal savior, as it were, and Yeshua is the eternal savior. So that's, that's, that was good. Yeah. Any others? Then there's a pa- then there's a, a, a uh, the the writer doesn't get off topic, but he kind of got off topic in chapter two, uh, thirteen through three two, and then he gets back on topic. But that's the, uh, verses three, three chapter three three through four thirteen. He discusses how the listeners should remain steadfast in Messiah, following him into rest, which is what we've been looking at for the past weeks. And then he picks up the topic again of high priest in chapter four fourteen through five ten. Having been a great uh, Kohen Gadol who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua, the Son of God, let us hold tightly to our confession. For we do not have a Kohen Gadol who cannot be touched with, our, with the feeling of our infirmities, but one who has been in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with boldness to the throne of grace, which we may receive mercy, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every Kohen Gadol, being taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Sins. The Kohen Gadol can deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, because he himself is also surrounded with weakness. So far, have we got a contrast between Yeshua and the Kohen Gadol of the, of the temple? It's the same. He's, he's saying every Kohen Gadol is this way, right? In comparison, every Kohen Gadol is this way. And he said, why is it important? Actually, there was one of the. Uh, why is it important? First of all, in verse 15, he does make a differentiation between Yeshua because he is the Son of God. But in verse 15, he says, "We do not have a kohen gadol who cannot, can't be touched with the females of our firmities. Well, so can so can a kohen gadol, a high priest among men. He can be touched as well, right? He is among. He is a man. He can be touched with the infirmities of a man. So so far, we don't see a difference 
Because of this, he, verse 3, because of this, he must offer sacrifices for sin for the people as well as for himself. Now we have a difference, right? Now there's a difference between the 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 high priest of among that is, that is not well actually we, 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 they're all among men a high priest who's not the son of God not Yeshua versus one who is Yeshua because we're going to see that there's something different that comes up nobody takes this honor on himself but he is called by God just like Aaron was okay no high priest can take the honor for himself so also Messiah didn't glorify himself to be made Kohengadol high priest but he it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. As he also says in another place, You are Kohen forever in the, after the order of Melchizedek. He, in the days of his flesh, having offered up prayers and petitions with strong crying and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and having been heard for his godly fear, though he was a son, yet learned obedience by the things which he suffered, being made Having been made perfect, he became to all of those who obey him the author of eternal salvation. Named by God a Kohen Gadol, high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. So he's actually doing a comparison between Yeshua and the Aaronic priesthood here as high priest. Until he gets to a point. And then he says, here's the difference. The difference is not he's, made, he's from among men. So is Yeshua. That's the point. He is from among men. The difference is not that he wasn't called by God. They've all been called by God. The difference is not he's like us. They're all, they're all supposed to be like us. They're all appointed. They all suffer, as it were. He suffered. He was just because he was son didn't mean he got to, got to escape the suffering, to partake in the infirmities. What was the difference? He having been made perfect became to all those who obey him the author of eternal salvation named by God a Kohen Gadol high priest after order of Melchizedek the contrast is Melchizedek and Aaron from verse 4 is it not? that's the contrast there's two different priesthoods they are very similar up to a point and I think it's really important to underscore the idea that it's the author of eternal salvation, verse 9. Okay? Something at work here that we haven't seen before. Anybody get any other ones? Uh, I got, uh, um, like us, appointed by God, called by God, according to the order of Melchizedek, uh, as summary points. Anybody get any different ones, summary points? That, that he understood our human weakness, but he did not participate in it. Therefore, he could become offer a perfect sacrifice. He didn't need to offer one to present him like the human. Exactly. And we're going to see, we are assuming that in this passage, but in the next one, we're going to see it. Just say it right out. <laughs> he says it outright, yes, but that's right. He's kind of building up to this, because in the next passage, he actually just says it right out. You know, he says, he did not sin was not tempted, tempted, yet did not sin, or had no sin. So we see that he actually goes through the steps, but he's setting the stage here, and he's actually, he implies it very clearly. And the difference he sees implies is there's a different outcome, eternal salvation, which we're going to see this repeated again and again. He's going to repeat the outcome similar, but different. Okay? Any others?
titles? Anybody get titles? What is a title? Eternal priesthood. Very good. Excellent. Appointed by God in the order of Melchizedek, which is actually the eternal priesthood. Very good. Okay. Go to, uh, then, then the writer goes in chapter 5, verse 11 through 619 and rebukes them, really, for slowness and the fact that they don't learn very well. <laughs> Reminding the listeners the subject matter occurring in the high priest is not elementary. It's not something they should, uh, that, that, that's based, but encourage them to remain steadfast in the side. In other words, what I've just told you is, is, is not elementary. It, it seems as if he's actually saying, look, this stuff's easy. I can't believe you don't get it. He's actually not saying that. He's, he's actually saying, uh, we have easy stuff. Now I'm teaching you hard stuff, and you should be able to get this. Okay? And we're, we're going to look at that, the rebukes, uh, later on in another lesson, so we'll move on from that. Verse 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 20 through 7, 10. Whereas, whereas a forerunner, Yeshua, entered for us, having become Kohen Gadol forever after the order of Melchizedek. There we got it. He's, now we've said it. He is the priest forever. For this Melchizedek, king of Shalem, Kohen of El Elyon, the God Most High, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham divided a tenth part of all, being first, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and then also king of Shalem, which is a king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but being made like the Son of God, remains a Kohen continually. Now, consider how great this man was, to whom even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth out of the best spoils. They indeed, of the sons of Levi, who received the Kohen's office, have a mitzvah, or a commandment, to take tithes of the people according to the Torah, that is, of their brothers. Though these have come out of the body of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not counted from them speaking of Melchizedek has accepted tithes from Abraham and has blessed him uh, who has the promises but without any dispute the lesser is blessed by the greater who's the lesser and the greater there? Abraham's the lesser and Melchizedek is the greater that's right here people who die receive tithes but there one receives tithes of whom it is testified that he lives we can say that through Abraham even Levi who receives the tithes has paid tithes for he was yet in the body of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now the idea here is, okay, uh, Levi was a, de- was a descendant of Abraham, uh, and therefore if Abraham was paying a tithe to uh, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, then in fact uh, Levi, as it were, in other words the lesser is paying to the greater, that means Levi is also a lesser, because a lesser is always, a son is always a lesser than a father. So we have this lesser is obviously there. So Levi himself paid. So the greater priesthood is what we have established here. What's the greater priesthood? Melchizedek. Okay. It precedes it as well. Aaron, it talks about how Aaron hasn't, hasn't received a, a priesthood at this time. It's just Melchizedek. Now it goes into a lot of detail about not having a father and mother and everything else. And that's, you know, not to get into that issue, but specifically what's his point in bringing that up? He has a point. It's a comparative point or a contrasting part. That's true. It's it's greater. But what is it about Aaron? What's Aaron's priesthood require? 
if I want to serve as a as a Aaronic priest, what do I have to produce? Yeah, here's my genealogy. Look, my daddy and his daddy and his daddy, and we all go back to Pinchas and before that even Aaron. See, that's why I'm a priest. Here's my genealogy. This is why I'm a priest. Okay. In other words, without the genealogy, you can't be a priest. You just can't. So what's the point here with Melchizedek? Melchizedek doesn't have a genealogy. In other words, he's not from Aaron. Don't misunderstand. That's what he's saying. Don't misunderstand. This is different from Aaron. If he had a genealogy that says he's from Judah, or says he's from Shimon, Simeon, we'd have some issues of debate. This one, Melchizedek, doesn't have a genealogy. That we can say, look, he is or isn't from Aaron. One thing we know for sure, if we can't say he's from Aaron, then it has to be a different priesthood or no priest at all. Okay? That's his point. He's saying, Melchizedek, he's, he's pointing out to them, Melchizedek was a high priest. And they go, yeah, well, of course, we read Psalm 110. We saw that our father Abraham paid tithes to him, so he was a high priest, yes. And then they, he reminded them, was he an ironic priest? Well, no, of course not. Since see, there's a priesthood other than Aaron's priesthood. Why is that important? Exactly. And, and because of that, to claim priesthood for Yeshua... Exactly. we got a problem if we say, well, he's our high priest, and don't explain how that happens. Okay, now, it may not seem like a big deal to us right now, but to them, this is a huge deal. The priesthood is only Levi. The high priesthood, or excuse me, is the, uh, the, priests are the, the priests are only, high priests are only Aaron. Okay, only Aaron. Uh, so there's no way that you can have, uh, you know, well, you know, I think I'll be high priest this year. Well, that's actually what was going on, which was an important point. Look, we follow the rules. The guys that are in there now don't. <laughs> that's really it. The Sadducees weren't following the rules. They weren't obeying what God's commanded. Uh, um, we, we see specifically also the, the mixing of the of the, the ironic priesthood and the kingship. Uh, of, of Israel in the, in the Hasmonean uh, dynasty. We have actually we have priests serving as king. No, sorry, that doesn't work. He's not allowed to do that. Uh, the mixing of the tribes, the back and forth. Well, who is it? Is it going to be Levi ruling Israel? Absolutely not. It's got to be Judah ruling Israel. But Judah can't serve as a priest. Division of the division of the service here. Well, Judah can serve as a priest, but not as an ironic priest. It's a different priesthood. Okay, it's really important to understand the difference. Anybody get any? Uh, what are your, some of your summary points here? Which order is greater? It's repeated, but Aaron or Melchizedek? Melchizedek's greater order. Okay. Does that mean that Aaron's? Is he arguing that Aaron has no role? Actually, almost all the time it talks about the Aaronic priesthood. Almost every single verb in here, even the ones that are in English as past tense, are all present tense. It's a recognition the priesthood is in service. In service. Now, quite fairly, they, that doesn't necessarily prove anything because the Mishnah records all these things in present tense as well. Well, kind of like in present tense as well, as if it's ongoing. Okay, But 
it certainly it certainly leads you to believe that it's ongoing. The writer saw it as a legitimate priesthood. Okay. Um, so 620 through 710 I got summary main points order of Melchizedek no genealogy the order is greater in, and it precedes that of Aaron it's really important that it precede, it came first remember, remember the argument that remember the argument that we as we talked about some of the commentators uh, that they're putting forward is look just leave all that temple stuff it's icky anyway there are no this stuff's icky just get away from it all you know uh, Jesus has replaced the Aaronic priesthood. Just, just remember, he's replaced it. Well, if he's replaced it, then he has to come from an order that came after it. It was the first order. Do you understand? Machitetic was the first order of priesthood to the Most High. Aaron came after... Did Aaron replace Machitetic? Melchizedek? No, of course not. So the priesthoods weren't necessarily operating in in contract or in in conflict with one another. This is important. We'll get to it. We'll understand why here in a second. But they're not in conflict. Okay? They're not in conflict. They're the same in some regards, dramatically different in others. He wants to show us the similarity, but he wants to focus on what's different. What's different about this order of Melchizedek? Number one, it's greater. It precedes the Aaronic priesthood. Uh, without going, we can't go into a lot of depth on the Aaronic priesthood because we're going to actually study that later on. Um, this is kind of like to get an overview and see the various issues that might be of, of importance to us. What kind of titles did you get? What title did you get for that? Seven. Better priesthood. Very good. Excellent. I said Melchizedek, his order preceded Aaron's. Any others? This is uh, 620 through 710. Melchizedek is a priest. And the priest, okay. Now, this chapter 7, and the first, the first half of chapter 7, is used oftentimes to teach a type of ontology, or the makeup of who Yeshua is, who Melchizedek was, making a, him to be a prefigure of Messiah, whatever else. i got no problem with that in and of itself, but I think that misses the point of what's being said. I think that's fine, actually, to, to talk about that and to discuss it and go into depth. But in context, the focus is saying Yeshua is in the order of Melchizedek, not necessarily that they're one and the same person. Even though that's a that's that's a worthwhile discussion, that's not the that's not the reason he's bringing him up. Okay, he's bringing him up because he's trying to say he's of a different, higher order of priest. Okay. And I know when we studied when we studied Hebrews and precept, uh, we spent a long time on Melchizedek. Actually, went back and read a lot of stuff in Genesis as well, focusing on that aspect, that that ontological aspect, the makeup. Who is this person, this mysterious person, Melchizedek, or whatever else? And there's, and then, like I said, that's not a wrong study necessarily, but it, in the context of this passage, he's bringing them up for a reason, and the focus is Yeshua. The focus is his priesthood is different from Aaron's. Okay. 
Okay, the next passage uh, actually goes straight into it. Verse, verse 11, chapter 7, 11, 25 through, uh, or through 7, 25. Now, if there was perfection through Levitical priesthood, for under it the people have received the Torah, what, need, what further need was there for another Kohen to arise out of the order of Melchizedek and not to be called after the order of Aaron? Wow, that was the question I had. And he, and he asked the same question I asked. And then he gives me the answer. For the priesthood being changed, there is, a necess- there is a necessity of the change also made in the Torah. That's a capital T. This is, this is a commentary. It's fine. In the, he- in the Greek, it would be namos, N-O-M-O-S, okay? Law. A change in the law. For he of whom these things are said be- uh, belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. What's he talking about? He's saying there's a change here. Machitzedek is not from Aaron. He's not even of the tribe of Levi. For he, he, of whom these things are being said, belongs to another tribe. Actually, it's speaking of this one we've been speaking of in the order of Machitzedek. Yeshua himself, Messiah, is what he's speaking of. He's another tribe. What tribe is he from? Judah. It says, from which no one has officiated at the altar. He has no right to serve as a son of Judah for it is evident that our Lord has sprung out of Yehuda, Judah about which tribe Moshe spoke nothing concerning the priesthood that mean Moses, what was he thinking? don't misunderstand what he's saying he's saying when he says Moses he's saying but God said nothing concerning okay this is yet more abundantly evident if after the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another Kohen there is, another, there is another high priest, y'all. There is another high priest, so we've got to figure out how this works. Who has been made, not after the Torah of a fleshly mitzvah, not after the instruction of a fleshly commandment, but after the power of an endless life. It, for it is testified, you are a Kohen Gadol forever, a Kohen forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For there is... And where there is an annulling of a foregoing mitzvah, commandment, because of its weakness and uselessness. How is it weak and useless? And he tells us, for the Torah made nothing perfect. And a bringing in of a better hope, through which we draw near to God, inasmuch as he was not made Kohen without the taking of an oath. Now he's back to comparing again. He's been, boy, this is big time contrast, right? I mean, he's like saying, these are like two totally different priesthoods. Now he's back to comparing. He says, inasmuch he was not made a Kohen without the taking of an oath. For they, indeed, have, have been made Kohenim. He's speaking of the all priests. Without, uh, have been made Kohen with, uh, Kohenim without an oath. Excuse me, but it's, he's not speaking of all priests. But he, with an oath by himself, that says of him, the Lord swore and will not change his mind. You are Kohen Godol. Excuse me, you are Kohen forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much, Yeshua has been made the collateral of a better covenant. Okay, he's going to pick up this covenant discussion later on. Okay, but for now, this is what he just he just brings it up and then he moves on. Many indeed have been made Kohenim priests because they are hindered from continuing by death. What's that mean? Only one person at a time is allowed to be the high priest. And as long as he's alive, he's the high priest. And if he lived forever, he'd be the only high priest. But they keep on dying. 
And so their sons have to be the high priest. And then they die and they have to have sons. It's a big deal. Got to keep having sons and you'll never have a high priest. But he, because he lives forever, has his priesthood unchangeable. Boy, that's a different priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, seeing that he lives forever to make intercession for him. What kind of topics do you get there? He's a high priest forever. Okay. Why is he high priest forever? That's it. He lives forever, therefore he's a high priest forever. So the difference is, what kind of life does he have? It's the endless life is what makes him a high priest forever. What else? It's Judah only... Yet he's a priest, so obviously he has to come from another order. He can't be according to the order of Aaron. He wasn't made a priest by the order of a man or a genealogy, which is his point he made earlier, right? It wasn't his genealogy that made him a priest. There was no perfection, none, under the Levitical priesthood. There was no perfection. And in fact... They're operating within within that confine of the Torah. The Torah itself doesn't make anything, makes nothing perfect. It doesn't make anything perfect. By the way, that means it never did. When we get into covenants and talk about old covenant and new covenant, it's very easy to say, well, that was the old way. It it worked or it didn't work, whatever it was. And then there's the new way and it works. Okay? Okay. And part of the problem is we misunderstand necessarily what that covenant was. Or more importantly, not the covenant, but the Torah itself. Torah and covenant aren't necessarily the same. What is it? It didn't make anything perfect. It never did. Why? It was never intended to. It's not its purpose. What is the law? What, is, what, are, what are our civil laws? What, are, what purpose do our civil laws serve? To make me perfect? They restrain me from doing the wrong thing and they let me know when I've done the right thing. That's it. They they serve the... Basically, they, they present to my mind what is right and what is wrong. Do they make me do the right thing? If they did, we'd, that'd be perfect. Pass the law, everybody stops doing it, right? It doesn't work that way, does it? In fact, Romans tells us the opposite. Pass the law, everybody starts breaking it. Law doesn't make people perfect. Neither does the Torah. It never was intended to. I said here that they both came from an oath, and it's really not quite true the way this says. Aaron received a priesthood by a commandment of God, as we're going to study later. And Pinchas repeated with his grandson, God repeated with Pinchas the same thing. An eternal priesthood. But it's not necessarily an oath. Here it's an oath. Slightly different simply from a command. Not slightly different. It is very different. Because it's based upon the, it's based on God swearing by his name. He could swear by none higher. Okay? Where did he do that? 
Where did God by oath make Yeshua a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek? Is it in Matthew somewhere? Maybe Mark? Where did he do this? Where can I read Yeshua is other than Hebrews where can I read okay Yeshua is a high priest forever and God did it by an oath where is he getting this from? Or she's getting this from? Well this author is quoting Psalm 19 That's it That's exact and Psalm 2 He's bringing the two together it says today I've begotten you right so when did he become a high priest? Forever. This is a little bit of a technicality, but it, we're going to see later on. It actually plays a very important role in understanding here. Good. Should we hold it then? We're going to go talk about questions. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 Uh, these are my summary points. You guys are welcome to add some. No perfection under Aaron's order. No priest allowed from the tribe of Judah. Yeshua was not made priest by the order of a man, but after the power of an endless life. Torah doesn't make anyone perfect. Like Aaron, he was made priest by an oath. And actually, I, I strike that. Aaron was made priest by commandment. Yeshua was made priest by an oath. The reason for the new high priest... The reason for a new high priest was because the old one died. <laughs> Otherwise, they could have served forever too. Okay. Aaron, you're priest forever. Oh, I'm sorry. He died. The priests from Aaron were priests because they were from Aaron. I mean, they weren't elected to office, and the Torah was placed in front of them. They put their hands exactly. They weren't oath that they would have held this, but God did for this priest. Exactly. He held up his hand and said, "By myself, I serve." This is the one. I'm Very good. Very good. What's interesting as well is there seems to be a left-handed slapping of the really slapping of the Sadducees in my mind when I read this, because it's almost like a reminder to the readers the high priest is serving now which I will not speak against just like Paul said I'm sorry I didn't know you are the high priest I would never speak against the Lord's anointed he was right even though even though it was illegitimate in the sense that uh, the way they went about choosing high priest was illegitimate even though that's true God still and, and we see it in Yeshua as well used them as high priest we, you know they're wicked men God was using them as high priest uh, so so it, it's almost like a left-handed without coming right out and saying by the way these people are Ill- illegitimate because they weren't they were legitimate they were absolutely legitimate even though they were evil you know just like just like uh, Eli's sons serving as priests were evil they were legitimate priests and that's exactly why they, they died <laughs> you know but the point here is it's almost like a left he's reminding them in a, in a kind of a left-handed way you know Jeremiah's left-handed sorry uh, in a left-handed way he's kind of reminding them you know, that this is, uh, you know... <laughs> By the way, just so that you remember, you remember the high priests that are serving right now? Well, you know, are they really following the Torah and instructions? And the answer was no. Not even close. They were from the tribe of, of Levi, from the tribe of Levi. They were, in fact, Aaron's descendants, but that was about as close as he got. You all know that you all know there's a huge genealogical project ongoing current where uh, uh, the tribe of Levi actually has their own website thetribe.org <laughs> yeah you can go there and see if you were <laughs> they know they, they, you, can, you can be tested there, there is a Kohen uh, um, 
marker, genetic marker. They can pick, they can pick out a Kohen easily. Most Kohen, Kohenim actually know they are. But some didn't. There was a group in India of, of Jews that, that basically had been disconnected from Israel. They were still practicing Judaism. They had been disconnected from Israel for over a thousand years. They tested them and guess what? They're Kohen. Kohenim. I mean, they're actually, they're, 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 they are of Aaron's descent. Yeah, you can tell people that are in the tribe of Levi, they can pick out the tribe of Levi, and they can pick even to the point of knowing the high priest. Not all the tribes can be identified that way, but they can pick out high priests. Is that amazing? This is a common, a common male ancestor, uh, you know, what was it, 3,000 3, years ago, uh, 3,500 years ago. Yeah. I think it's the tribe.org. Don't 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 quote me. I think that's it though. The tribe. You can do a search for. It. Did you really? I'm sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll try it. I'll try and I'll look that up. Well, I, as I after I said that, I go. Was it .org or .com? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, just Google uh, uh, the tribe of Levi. Yeah, just Google the tribe of Levi. You'll find it. It's actually kind of cool site. It's a cool site. Uh, if you go to that site, by the way, you'll see something right away. At least, at least a couple years ago, when I was on there, the, something right away is just shows a hand, actually two hands, uplifted, with like sparks around the hands or whatever else. Look at what the hands are doing when they do that. It's pretty cool. Now watch. They probably changed their graphic and it was enough. Okay, title. I got eternally alive, eternally Kohen. Because he's eternally alive, he is eternally a priest. You know, this, this makes it almost sound like, you know, why is he making this point? I mean, he's Yeshua, for goodness sakes. He's God in the flesh. Why do we even have to go through this, right? He's making points that seem somewhat, at times, somewhat belaboring that make no difference. Look, I mean, he's, he's, he's all that he's supposed to be. Why do we even have to talk about it, right? And to say that he is, a, he is a high priest forever because he lives forever almost sounds somewhat, you know, it's like an excuse. Well, he lives forever. That's why he's high priest forever. But he's making points for a very important reason. Why we spent four weeks in the book of Acts. Why? He's got to make legal points. He can't just come up with this stuff out of the blue. It's got to be legally binding. And he has to be able to explain it in a legal way. And when I say legal, I really mean it. This is the law of the land. This is the law of the people of Israel. God's given it to them. They're governed this way. How is it that Yeshua of the tribe of Judah can be called high priest? I've got to prove it to you. Right? And that's what he's doing. Starts off in 8.7 and goes through 9.14 Detailing this relationship between the Old and the New Covenants I put the word Old in there The word Old is not found in the Greek Okay The word Old is but not the word Covenant Okay So it's not really Old and New Covenants It's Old or First and New Covenant New Covenant is found there Using the tabernacle imagery as an explanation Then he picks up this discussion of Yeshua As high priest again in chapter 9.15 through 9.28 For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant Speaking of Yeshua Did I skip something? Yeah, I did Let's get back Go back 7.26-8.6 Yes Sorry about that for such a Kohen Gadol was fitting for us, holy, guiltless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who doesn't need, like those Kohenim, Gadolim, plural, high priests, 
to offer up sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For he did this once for all when he offered up himself. When the Torah appoints men as Kohenim Gedolim, high priests, who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the Torah appoints his son forever who has been perfected. Now this is... Now, in in the things which we are saying, the main point is this. We have such a Kohen Gadol, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a servant of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched not men, not man. For every Kohen Gadol is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this Kohen Gadol also have something to offer. In other words, every priest has to offer sacrifices. So this one has to have something, too. For if he were on earth, he would not be a Kohen at all, seeing as there are Kohenim who offer gifts according to the Torah, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Even as Moshe has warned by God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See, you have, see, you shall make everything according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by so much as he also... He is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. He makes comparisons, and then he makes contrasts. What is the what are what is some of the what is the most important contrast between the high priesthood of Yeshua and the high priest of Aaron here, high priests of Aaron's order? What's the most important contrast difference? Sinless. Yeshua is sinless. Why is that? Do they still have to offer a sacrifice? Yes. The sacrifice is still required. Death is still required, as we're going to get here in a little bit. But, sacrifice is still required. The difference is, he's sinless, so he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself. Right? And the main point. As Kohen, he offered himself. That's the main point. Actually, I think that's the main point of the entire discussion of high priests from beginning to end. His main point is, he is a high priest by this order, Machisedek, and the sacrifice that he offered is better because it's himself. As we're going to see when we get to chapter 10. Any others? Summaries? He's a sinless Kohen. Psalm 110 appointed him. That's where he is appointed, a priest forever. And correlating back to Psalm 2, you are my son. Right? Today I have appointed you. So the title, Son of God, slash Messiah, slash High Priest, comes from whatever it is out of Psalm 2 and then extends specifically into Psalm 110, according to the order of Melchizedek. His main point is, as priest, he offered himself. Any others? And the title I got for that is, Sinless Kohen offered himself. Now we'll move on to chapter 9, verse 25 through 928. For this reason, he, speaking of Yeshua, is the mediator of a new covenant, since a death has occurred for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, that those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a last will of testament is, there must necessarily be, by necessity, of necessity, be the death of him who made it. For a force... 
For a will is enforced where there has been a death, for it is never enforced where, uh, while he who makes it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant has not been dedicated without blood. For where, when every mitzvah had been spoken by Moshe to all the people according to the Torah, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Moreover, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry in like manner with, with the blood. According to the Torah, nearly everything is cleansed with blood. And apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It was necessary, therefore, that the copies of the things in the heavens should be cleansed with these. With what? What are these? It's a comparison. Everything was cleansed with blood. And it says Water. Right, sprinkled with water and blood, scarlet willow to hyssop. So he says, cleanse with these. The same thing, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Okay, comparison and then a contrast. Better, more, more holy. For Messiah hasn't entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the representation of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, not nor yet that he should. Offer himself often as the Kohen Gadol enters into the holy place year by year with blood, not his own, speaking of Yom Kippur, or else he might have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay? Inasmuch as he is appointed for men, it is appointed for men to die once and after that judgment. Speaking of men, but it's more importantly speaking of Yeshua. So Messiah, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time without sin to those who are eagerly await, excuse me, waiting for him, waiting for him for salvation. Okay. Main points: I got a death is needed, and to get a death is needed. It does this contrast on daifike, which is a, a will or covenant slash. Well. The word will is, 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 is really unfortunate because that's not at all what a covenant is. It's not a will. But he's doing a play on words. He's saying, look, if, even if it was a will, somebody has to die. But it was more than a will. It was a covenant. Blood was necessary. Okay? Cleansed, with the blood of his, cleansed by his own blood. How good is that? So good that it doesn't have to be repeated. Why? Because it's sinless. Because the one offering, the one making the offering, is in fact sinless. So therefore he doesn't have... And he's already died once. That's the point. He's saying he's already died once. He can't die again. He can't keep on dying. Right? The sacrifice has already been killed. What? It's like double jeopardy. That You can't do that. It's paid the penalty one time. Can't be paid any more times. That's it. Okay? So the blood was eternal. It was... It was... It works eternally. It only has to be applied once. And it cleanses where? What did it cleanse? In this discussion, what did it cleanse? Is there a discussion of the worshippers? No. What did it cleanse? It does say he sprinkled it on all the people when speaking of Moses, but he doesn't make that it doesn't make that comparison when he's talking about Yeshua. What's his point here? 
Where was something cleansed with Yeshua's blood? Yeah. How? Yeah, that's. Now there's a there's a big thing. I don't know if you guys have followed this kind of stuff where you know there's been all this people make you know. You know that the Ark of the Covenant was stored under uh, under uh, Mount Moriah and under 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 Golgotha, and and uh, that when Yeshua was dying, the blood ran down and it went between cracks in a rock and actually fell on the mercy on the on the on the mercy seat, and that's what satisfied the. You know, it was being stored; it's still stored there, is what they're saying, and that's and that satisfies Yom Kippur eternally. It's like, well, that sounds like that sounds really great, but it misses the whole point. Yeshua's blood was not necessary to cleanse the Ark of the Covenant in this realm. It was necessary to cleanse the tabernacle in the heavenlies. Why? It's in heaven. It's perfect. Why did it need His blood? What's the purpose of the tabernacle? We're getting a glimpse of the nature of reality. His blood was not necessary to cleanse the temple on earth. Because the temple on earth had been cleansed. And so far as it needed to be cleansed, how often did it have to be repeated? Every year. Every year had to be repeated. Yom Kippur had to happen. If you didn't have Yom Kippur, the temple would not be a functioning temple. It couldn't be. God would, God would withdraw His presence if, the, if Yom Kippur did not occur. So they had to keep doing it to keep the presence of God there. But Yeshua's blood was applied somewhere else. For the same reason. In the heavenlies. What function does the temple or the tabernacle in heaven serve? That's a question we want to keep asking as we go forward. I'm only raising the question. Moving on. Anybody else have any others here? <laughs> Don't you like that? Cleansed eternally with his blood. By the way, the people were cleansed eternally with his blood in that regard too. If they would make the comparison to Moses, Moses sprinkled it on the, on the people and the things. But the focus in Yeshua is the things. These, it was necessary that the copy of these things in the heavens should be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices, better sacrifices it were than these. Okay? Uh, and then there's a comparison, chapter 10, all the way 1 through verse 10, comparison between the sacrifices in the earthly tabernacle and the sacrifices in Yeshua, of Yeshua. So we're going to look at that in the sacrifice, excuse me, singular, of Yeshua. So we'll look at that in a later lesson as well. 10.11 through 10.23, every Kohen indeed stands day by day serving and often offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From him, from that time, waiting until his enemies were, are made the footstool of his feet. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He's picking up something he said back there in chapter 7 and, and, and 8. These people are being perfected somehow. The Holy Spirit also testifies to this. For after saying, this is the covenant, that which that I will put 
that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their heart. I will also write them on their mind, he says. I will remember their sins and their iniquities no more. So quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31. Now therefore, remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brothers, boldness to enter the holy place by the blood of Yeshua. What holy place? Which holy place? Yes. That's the topic he was talking about in chapter 9. By the way, which he dedicated for us, a new and living way through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a great Kohen over the house of God, let's, let's draw near with a true heart in fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and having our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Main points, sacrifice. the sacrifices that were discussed under the erotic priesthood did not take away sin. Didn't take away sin. I dare you to go and read. Well, we're going to do it as we go through here, but I dare you to go back and read right away in chapter, chapter 1 of Leviticus what it did do. It says it makes atonement for you. How do we understand atonement? Slash take away sin. Repeated comments about it will atone for you. Offer this sacrifice and I will and and it will atone. Or offer the sacrifice and I will forgive. I will forgive your sin. Is this writer of Hebrews mistaken? It says does not never take can never take away sins yet the sacrifice that Yeshua offered not only takes away sin it takes it away forever that's a contrast that's different sacrifice of Yeshua is a better sacrifice okay perfected by his sacrifice also verse 14 now where remission of these is sin, there is no offering for sin. If your sins have been forgiven, more importantly, let me rephrase that. If your sins have been taken away, there's no need for sin sacrifice. Is that what it says? It reads like that to me. He's dedicated a new and living way through the veil. What's on the veil? He's the way. Isn't that cool? I love that. This is so cool. He is the way. We go through the veil of his flesh. I mean, he is the way. He is the way. He's the veil. He is not just the veil. He's the priest. He's the high priest. What he wears is the substance. The veil is made of the same substance of him. It's that same that same linen and wool weaving. The veil is made of the same thing the high priest is wearing. The veil is of the same substance of him. It is him. So we go through him into the Holy of Holies in the heavenlies. Any others? Perfected by him is what I had. Perfected by him. Okay? Any others? Well, I got to the bottom of this. I remember you talking early on about how these believers that this was addressed to could no longer go to the temple and offer sacrifice. 
And I thought, by the time they get down to the bottom, you gotta go. Oh. It, it's like, oh, what a great comfort. And, and that's and that's why I see this, and that's why I see this book mostly as a comfort, as opposed to what many refer to it as some sort of rebuke. It's like, it has to be a huge comfort to them. Because they have not understood that the temple system is, is, is abhorrent. They have not been taught the temple system was bad. They have been taught the opposite. So when they finally are, get, are being kicked out or told that if they don't renounce Yeshua as Messiah, that they will be kicked out, what a relief to know. I still have a high priest offering sacrifice. It has offered his sacrifices once for all. The sacrifice once for all. What a relief. He's still there serving for me. What a relief. I think it's a great comfort. These are my questions. I don't have the answers. But I have questions that are raised by... Uh, maybe maybe not answers, but other questions that may answer it. I don't know. I had a question I was reading, and, and if you have questions, you, you wrote them down. If it's something we can discuss that I don't, that I know that we're not going to get into later, bring it up now. Okay. So my my question was this: Chapter seven, verse twelve through sixteen. He says, "For the priesthood has been changed. There is a necessity uh, of necessity a change also in the Torah. Is there a new law? God changes mind." This is the law. Okay, now, never mind. That didn't work. Let me give you a new one. Well, that's a common... That's usually the way actually it's read. That's exactly the way it's read. That didn't work out, so I'll give you a new one. So people say, you know, well, I don't have to follow 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Fine, I understand that. If that's the way you want to say, that's fine. So are you going to follow the thousand that are in the New Testament? A thousand? Yeah, yeah, it's more. Yes, but it's... They're, they're much easier. Uh, actually, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not easier. The commandments of God are never difficult. Never. How can the commandments of God be difficult? Actually, First John tells us that. His commandments are not burdensome. And none of his commandments. I don't care if it's 613 or 1,000. Make it 20,000. I don't care. His commandments aren't burdensome. They can't be burdensome. Why would he give them as burdensome? They're not burdensome at all. So is the change of mind, is that what it's saying? I had an answer. I don't know actually an answer, but I have a question. If I go down to verse 16, it tells me, who has made, speaking of another priest, who has been made not after the Torah of a fleshly mitzvah commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Oh, wait, wait. Maybe Maybe the Torah being spoken of there is what makes someone a priest. How is someone made a priest? By command of God, I can go to in the Torah and read it. This is why he's a priest. So it's not necessarily that the Torah itself is changed, but it has to be made a priest according to a different, a different Torah, a different commandment. And in this case, an oath from Psalm 110. Do you follow me? It's not speaking of the body of work, someone might say, is the, uh, the covenant of Sinai, or more importantly, the broader work, the Torah of Moses, or even broader work, you know, include all the prophets. He's not saying that's all changed, I don't think. I think he's saying that what makes someone a priest is not that. There's, there's, a, there's been a change of priesthood. We've got to find a reason why. That's what he says. 
There's been a change of priesthood. I got to give you the legal reason why that's possible. Not a change in priesthood since, since uh, not a replacement necessarily, but we have a different priest line here that goes back before Aaron, and it's now continuing after uh, with Yeshua. Where did this priesthood come from? And he says, not according to a fleshly command. Not a, not, not because you're of the line of Aaron, you're the priest, but because of an endless life. And we see also an oath, an oath by God, 110. I don't know. 718 was another question I had. I, my questions came more from the idea of the classic traditional reading of the book and how does that work with what we've been doing so far. That's not, not that they caused me great consternation, but that's where my questions came from. How do those work? If, that's, if this is true, how is that true? Okay. For there is an annulling of a foregoing mitzvah because of its weakness and usefulness, for the Torah made nothing perfect, and bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. An annulling of a foregoing mitzvah. What mitzvah is it speaking of? If you go back to 7.16, the mitzvah is the command that Aaron and his line will be priests. God annulled it? We're going to see in a little while. If God annulled that, and if that's what this means, then we should throw this book out of our Bible. If that's what that means, then this doesn't belong here. Because when we're, we're going to study the priesthood of Aaron, the high priesthood of Aaron, God makes it very clear in unmistakable terms. It can't be annulled. It's forever. I don't know. So how can I come up with an answer? Annulling of a commandment? Maybe verse 19, which says, For the Torah made nothing perfect. Maybe what it's speaking of is the fact that people were trying to make it do, the priesthood do, what it could never do. It could never make anyone perfect. And the operating, the rules operating the priesthood could never make anyone perfect. It could never forgive your sin, or more importantly, take away your sin. Anybody that ever implied that or tried to make it do that, it was weak and useless to do. It couldn't do that. It was never intended to do that. It was never intended to do that. I don't know. How about this one? An oath that comes after the Torah supersedes 728. For the Torah appoints men as Kohen, Kohenim uh, Gedolim, who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came after the Torah. What word of the oath? And that's what we talked about when we were going through that. I... I don't know, is that Psalm 110? Is that the word of the oath that came after the Torah? In other words, actually sequentially, because we see Melchizedek, Melchizedek actually comes before Abraham, even, right? And the Aaronic priesthood. So it's not talking about that, it's got to be talking about something else. So to me, it's the oath itself comes after, Psalm 110. Just, I don't know, sequentially it comes after, you know? I don't know, a thousand... Not, maybe not a thousand, six hundred years, five hundred years after the promise to Aaron and repeated to Pinchas, his son, grandson. Maybe it's because Psalm 1 then 10 post dates. 10 11 through 12 and verse 18. This is rhetorical. Every Kohen indeed stands day by day serving and offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 18. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. What was the point? 
Why were there sin sacrifices if they didn't take away sin? The classic answer is, well, they pointed to something. They were they didn't do anything, but they pointed to something, which fails to recognize. Then why did anybody ever do it? The assumption is everybody was doing it all the time because they were sinning all the time, and that's not at all true. If you read as we're going to read on the sacrifices, these were all voluntary. Almost not all, but almost all of these were voluntary. They are not mandatory. Why were they doing it? What's the point? But it seems like you have to have a reason, you know. Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's just given us as you taught someone 19. There's some of those things that we don't know, but we obey them anyway because they came from the mouth of God. Actually, I agree. I agree completely. I think that's exactly right. But there were. But I'm sure that they figured out some theology to explain how they were doing I think Scripture gives it to us, and I think Hebrews actually is teaching this. I think I don't know enough about sacrifices, if that's my view, but I, I believe this. I believe that all of the sacrifices offered. In the temple, tabernacle, were efficacious. They worked. They worked. What it is that they worked is the only thing at issue in my mind. What did they do? Whatever they did, they did it. The question is, what was it that they did? How did it apply? And what Hebrews is not is not telling me is not telling me they didn't work. As we're going to see when we get into chapter ten, at the end of chapter ten, he actually says they do work. They did work. In fact, he uses it in the present tense. They keep on working. The question is not, did they work? And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, how long did they last? How long did they last? We're going to spend a whole week looking at Yom Kippur. He makes a huge deal over Yom Kippur going through this thing. Huge deal. And he gives this imagery, contrasts. He compares first between Yeshua as high priest serving once, offering himself up once, and then the high priest on Yom Kippur. And then he contrasts that the high priest has to keep going day every single year to sanctify, to cleanse the temple by Yom Kippur. What was your What was your question? Do you remember that, Valerie? Can you get to it? Um, I also was questioning this whole thing in H6 where you said more expert motion, better talent, better competence, you know, sort of what you were talking good. about, about the, How's it the law itself. I mean, yeah. what was wrong with the other ones? Why did we need better, better? I agree. I agree. And obviously there was a reason why. Um, in 7, 1 through 4, talking about um, Abraham paying his house to not take back, um, you know, bring it all the back. Pr- the I, 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 in, in Genesis, I mean, it's just kind of poof, there's a story. Yeah. And there's no explanation about how Abraham even knew that he needed to make these exactly. gods and sacrifices. I mean, he comes home from the battle and this king meets him and they have this, what appears to be a covenant meal, and he gives them this. And, yeah. and he blesses them, and it's like that's really odd. It it's is. Really strange. I agree. I don't think that's quite just the idea of what's going on here. Well, one thing I have to console myself with, I agree, but one thing I have to console myself with when I read stories about Abraham is I'm not privy to all that God spoke to him. Exactly. 
but he tells me what I need to know at the time. And what I do is I go back and I read that. I go, and later on, when he, when he, when he, when he, in, in uh, later on in Exodus, where or in Genesis, rather, uh, I think it's twenty, uh, chapter twenty-six, where he tells Isaac that Abraham obeyed my charge, kept my commandments, kept my uh, kept, kept my mitzvot, my 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 hukim. You know those. You know it was like where did where did how did how did Abraham know his precepts? How did Abraham know his command? What what did he obey? You know, and God gives very specific, and He uses those very terms that tell us that it's more than just go take your son Isaac, whom you love to the mountains of Moriah and offer them as a burnt offering. It's more than that. So what what did he know? I don't know. You know, the, Judaism t- goes to the extraordinary means by which to so, show uh, Abraham was completely... Uh, uh, Torah observant in, in the in, in the in the in the way of, of modern not modern but uh, uh, rabbinic Judaism uh, under the Torah under the oral Torah as well. So so he knew not, he knew that when he offered um, a kid uh, to the three strangers in chapter 18 that he knew that he had to wait six hours exactly six. Uh, actually, it's not six. I can't remember. Anyway, he had to wait so long before he could because he offered cheese. He, he gave him he gave him milk. Uh, and so uh, dairy products so uh, because modern Judaism and ancient Judaism uh, you know first century even rabbinic Judaism rather has this oral tradition that you have to wait so long after you eat meat before you eat dairy products and the separation of meat and dairy products is glot kosher I mean people follow it today because of that uh, Abraham kept glot kosher well how do you know that well he, he just knew it, you know. God told him all ahead of time. Well, I don't necessarily hold to the idea that God told him all the things ahead of time, but certainly there are things I'm not privy to, and that's all I have to. That's all I have to go on when I read those things about Melchizedek and. I don't know. Um, the better, though, is is intriguing to me. A better covenant, better promises. That's intriguing. I think the danger is that not that we recognize better but that we discount. We saw that in chapter 12. It's not, it's not, it's different in the sense of better. It's not different in the sense of opposite. That's what we have classically been trained is. Traditionally, we've looked at this. These are the opposite. Look, Judaism, as I read from the King, New King James, you know, heading for this whole book, Judaism, bad. Christianity, good. Opposites have no correlation to one another, which is absurd. And as the book shows, it's absurd. So when he says better, he's not saying as if the old was bad. He's saying, no, it's better. How can it... Better isn't bad... Or better does not make what was previous bad. It simply means it's better. This is good, you know? You have good days and you have better days. And who doesn't like the better days? And you don't go, boy, I'm sure glad I don't have good days anymore. <laughs> it is. Now we say better, and it's like, oh, learn from the contrast to bad. That's right. And that's not necessary. And, and that's the only thing. And we're going to get into it in depth. I don't want to go any deeper because we're actually going to look at the New Covenant specifically as we go forward. And to get into it deeper, we'll probably uh, step into that. But that, that's just the contrast between, or the, and the comparison, really. It's better, I think, to think of better as a comparison. It, it is different. I mean, something's good, and then there's something's better. That's a contrast. But it's more a comparison. It's like this, but more so. Right? And that's the how much more attitude that we got conveyed in chapter 12. How much more? Look, if it was bad there on Mount Sinai for those people who were disobeying, how much worse is it going to be for you now if you disobey him who's calling you? Right? If it's, it was good to go to the temple, 
as you have been going. How much better is it that you have a high priest who is serving in the heavenlies, has offered himself the sinless life, died once and never again will die, and offered up that perfect sacrifice. How much better is that than what you have been experiencing? It's not, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a it's not a treating it as bad the previous is bad simply showing how much better it is now the um, other thing that we were talking about earlier that I said you had to take that one a little bit was um, 8, 4, and 5 the high priest the priest who offered just according to the Torah who sort of a copy and shadow of yeah. something like that yeah. even as the shame by God and all of that and we've talked about how the tabernacle and the priesthood and all of that he set up because that's what he had seen and so he was replicating replicating yeah. and so it occurred to me did he see the Kahem Gadol, the high priest, <laughs> offering the eternal. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And was that what then he came back and the Aaronic priesthood? Oh yeah. To duplicate. Oh yeah. On Earth, was that what he was seeing? And so well, God gives. I gotta have some Bible verses. That's great. To, to back this up, so then there I, are Revelation thirteen eight, which says this land, land that was slain before the foundation yeah. of Earth. Well, then that have been there for him yeah. um, and Hebrews 11 right First Peter 1 19 and 20 and then the very last one that I finally ran across was this verse in Deuteronomy 29 29 which is the hidden things belong right. to God and his people that's right that's right that's right actually Janet could go on and on with this exactly what you just raised because uh, it's something she really likes likes to think and talk about is the idea of what Moses saw in specifics and chapter 11 he actually goes into it that we, we read that he has incredible insights God has shown him far more than is written down and I agree I think that's really important he saw God does give specific instructions for the priests and for the high priests and how they should behave and so they're operating within the instructions of God but I think that Moses understands far more about what's going on and to do it and to do it too much would would take us away from what was actually going on yeah. right yeah. good good questions any other questions anybody have questions good good it's not wrong remember what I told you it's never wrong to have questions questions lead to other questions and it's the process the process not of getting answers but the process of us seeking out the answers is what God wants from us the meat of this part of Hebrews is the focal point of many theological snippets people like to take little verses to prove points that's not that's not necessarily wrong uh, because they're such powerful they're such great verses in these oh man these chapters we've been going through are such filled with such great little quotes but understanding that taken out of context we'll miss it what is it about? it's about the world to come it is it's not about contrasting one religion over another first of all they're not two religions Christianity and Judaism we may treat them as two separate and they certainly operate in the realm of two separate today because of the way that people act and the things that they do or do not believe but the point is that the, the religion of scripture is one and the same okay we all err in some regard to that some more than others the point is though it's about the world to come 
post-dating this book is one answer to some of the issues that arise from the discussion of the priestly orders, which some people do, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but the tenses of the verbs are in the present tense. It's talking about the priesthood of Aaron as if it's operating now. And we're going to look at it when we get to the tabernacle as well. It's, it's, it's in the language that it's in, in use. It's in use now. Okay? Um, Yeshua's high priest is, is of Melchizedek order. One that precedes Aaron, and that one is for a higher realm. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this discussion. We thank you for your word. We thank you that these are such marvelous verses, such marvelous uh, truths that you teach here. But they can also be confusing to us. And Father, we thank you that you've not left us alone, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to illuminate. Father, you've given us your word to compare and to to, uh, learn from. And as we go forward, Father, discussing and holding these questions, Father, we ask that you might be uh, merciful to us and give us a revelation of yourself. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Baruch Adonai Elohinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vechaeolam Nata Betochenu Baruch Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Blessed art thou Adonai our God, King of the Universe, who gave us the Torah of truth and planted eternal life in our midst. Blessed art thou Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. <laughs>